Lord says, let the little children come to me, and for such is the kingdom of God. And this is one of those moments where we can see that. These little bitty voices crying out to Jesus to save them and teaching us to do the same. So, uh, wow. All right. You are turning with me to the gospel according to Luke chapter 19. The gospel according to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to read this Palm Sunday episode here together. And if you would, stand with me, as is our custom for the gospel reading. Notice these words here starting with verse 28 of 19. And I'm reading from the RSV, so it'll be slightly different than your pew Bible. But hear these words. This is the word of God. After telling a parable to the crowd at Jericho, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner, owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the ground. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Jesus, thank you for your word. Would you now take this historical event that you experienced and your disciples experienced with you, and would you plant it in our hearts so that we might experience the same joy, the same Lord today? We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the journey of Lent is with Jesus. This is where we really began this journey, wasn't it? We saw that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. And so, for 40 days, we will be journeying with Jesus to the cross, to the tomb. And that's where the Lenten journey ends This Saturday is with Jesus resting in a tomb, dead. But friend, that's not where it ends, is it? (laughs) Easter is coming, and we know this, and this is why Lent, we kind of begin Lent, don't we? With the end in mind, but we force ourselves with Jesus, being led by the Spirit into the wilderness so that he can cleanse us, so that we can see what comes to the surface in that desert area 
that he might want to scrape off the top and toss to the side so that when we come to the end of this week, we are prepared with all of our hearts to raise our hands on Sunday, Easter Sunday, and truly every Sunday is an Easter Sunday. And that's why we can rejoice every Sunday. That's why during Lent, you don't fast on Sundays. That is forbidden, friend. Eat well today. Pig out. Feast. Because Sunday is Resurrection Day. It is a new week. You know, this is going to be a hard week for Jesus to go through. And we just read the beginning of this week. This Sunday, this first day of the week, marks when he rode into Jerusalem. And it's going to be a long week for him. And we're going to sort of experience this. And this is why, really, Palm Sunday is a hard Sunday to preach. Here's why. If I were to show you the actual full gospel reading for today, it's about four pages single-spaced. It's, a, it's about uh, three full chapters of Luke all the way through. It leads us all the way to his death and being put in a tomb. It goes from 19 to 23. It is a long one. Uh, now, I haven't read all that to you, but you should read it today out of respect for this week. But also, I want to invite you. I want to invite you because here's why we don't read the whole thing and try to preach the whole week is because we actually have a Monday Thursday service where we're going to read these passages and we're going to experience foot washing and we're going to experience the meal that Jesus gave to us. He gave it to us. And then on Friday, we're going to experience the darkness that came over the world when the light looked like it was snuffed out. But we know a secret, don't we? And so did Jesus. And that is, you cannot snuff out the light of God. No amount of evil, no amount of wickedness, no amount of sin can ever destroy God. And this is the triumph of the cross. It is the triumph of the tomb. It is the triumph of the exalted Lord, resurrected Jesus. And so, this day uh, marks for us a new part of Jesus' journey... You know, in year C, which we're in, we're in the Gospel of Luke, right? We've been saying this. And, and Luke's account of Jesus' life, you know, all the Gospel writers, they end with the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They're all moving the story to that point. And in Luke's account, he gets there early in chapter 9, after the transfiguration, which is kind of the turning point, after Peter's confession... And what's going to happen is this. Notice these words from Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be received up, that is to be glorified, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, from chapter 9 all the way to 19 now that we just read, he has set his face, like our other reading said, like a flint to Jerusalem. Nothing will deter him once he turns his face. He has been moving away in his ministry, away from Jerusalem, in fact, and having a very private sort of discipleship ministry. Uh, he hasn't publicly declared any sort of thing or allowed others to publicly declare it. But after the transfiguration, after he's shown his disciples who he is, they still don't quite understand fully yet. But after he's done this, he turns his face to Jerusalem and nothing will stand in his way of going to cross because here's the secret of Jesus and the secret of Christianity and of your salvation and mine is the way of Jesus is the way of the cross 
The way of Jesus is the way of... There is no salvation without the bloody, painful, heavy cross. None. God does not know of a salvation without suffering, without death. (laughs) But what is to follow, we know, and that is resurrection. It's new life. It's a new week, a new creation, a new humanity. So he sets his face to Jerusalem. What is your face set toward? In your own life, what what have you really set your face to do? What have you set your mind to do? You know, we kind of say as part of the uh, American dream, you know, whatever you set your mind to do, you can do it. What is that? Riches? Pleasure? Success? Applause? Ease? You know, I, um, I tend to think in our own American culture that ease is one of our worst silent enemies. Just an easy life. Hey, nothing's going wrong in my life. You know, if you're on the path with Jesus, you're going to meet resistance. There's no resistance in your life. You really may want to turn around and make sure you're with Jesus. He says, my followers will suffer. But I am with you. I am with you. You know, I will tell you that just as a personal testimony, the times where I've held Jesus' hand while I've been suffering are precious moments to me. And you know what else? Here's how he holds our hand is the body of Christ. To be honest with you, I truly don't know how I would be standing here before you today if it were not for the body of Christ. At one of my lowest moments in my life, which I recounted to someone even just this week, which I don't do it often, (laughs) there were three men and one lady that were the hand of God for me. And they were the shoulder of God for me to weep upon when I was as broken as I possibly could have been. And I didn't think I had a home anymore. (laughs) I didn't think I was wanted anymore. I didn't think I was going to be used of God for certainly anymore. And they just came and held me. And it was God's timing because I was about to pull out of my driveway. And all three of them pulled up simultaneously. Now you can say it was coincidence. But I will go to the grave believing otherwise. It was God who came to rescue me. Through simply three brothers and a sister. They didn't say anything wise to me in those moments. They just let me weep. And you know what? (laughs) Sometimes when we're suffering, Jesus is not going to say anything to us. He won't. That doesn't mean we give up. He's with us still. And you know, it's a pastoral sort of advice that when people are suffering... Don't come in offering answers. Just be with them. Read Psalm 23. He is with us. He is with us. We as the body of Christ, we should be with people in their suffering. Which is why our prayer list is littered with people who are suffering and scared.
they're nervous, they're anxious, they're worried about their life or the life of a loved one. We join into that in intercession because that's what Jesus does. He continually makes intercession for us, for you and for me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Save us. This is what this means. Hosanna. Save us, we pray, is actually what it means. Do you pray? Is that what your face is set toward? Is salvation, not just of yourself. Not just trying to make it into heaven. Friend, if that's the vision of God that you have, that is much too small. No, he wants to save the world. And he's going to. And he's inviting you And me, what a privilege. What's your face set toward? Where are you going and to whom? Who is it? What kind of people are you called to? Well, this is a day where (laughs) there's a lot of ambiguity, actually. Um, There's lots of sights and sounds and smells and, and, um, and, and hear us. Yes, what I missed, sounds. Yes, thank you. Um, (laughs) Isn't she lovely? Um, On this day, they see Jesus and his feet nearly dragging the ground because he's on a little baby donkey. A little colt, the foal of a donkey, we're told, elsewhere. Luke doesn't go into the details here, but the other gospel writers do. There's actually two donkeys here. And one has never been ridden. One has never been ridden and is a baby. And so here's Jesus on this beast of burden. And they're watching this, which is quite a scene. But one that's not unrecognizable for anybody that's read the Old Testament. There's several moments where David's sons, where Solomon, where other kings and regals have ridden in. Jehu, others, uh, even Zechariah has a prophecy concerning this. Because the victorious king does not ride in on a horse because that's like taking a tank in. If you're taking a tank in somewhere, that means you're still fighting. If you bring the limo in, which is kind of like what the donkey was for them, the mule, it was just a tried and true way of transportation. Without going back to the 80s with limos, I mean, it was just kind of a safe way to travel, right? And here he comes in. They bring, I mean, our president still rides in a limo, doesn't he? <laughs> with all the cars that we have out there, he's still riding a limo, right? Because this is a transport of prestige and of peace, it means he's not coming in an armored uh, tank or helicopter. No, 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 no. He rides into Jerusalem peacefully as the victor, which is a bit confusing, though, isn't it? What does he gain victory from? He just now, literally in our reading today, announced in a sort of, again, ambiguous way that he was the king. That he's exalted. In fact, others are saying this of him. And now he's not telling them to be quiet. This is the first time. So what is he victorious of? What kind of king is, in fact, riding into Jerusalem? And what kind of kingdom is he going to establish? These are all questions that are just up in the air. But people are caught in the moment, just like we do, right? I mean, if you've ever been to a football game, which I have... And I'm a Saints fan, as you know, and they're kind of a winning team some of the time. 
And I, I remember I was, went to go to the concession stand and get me some snacks and all. And, and I get back to my seat and I'm trying to get seated. And everybody goes nuts in the Superdome. And when they go nuts in the Superdome, it's loud, okay? You're not going to miss it. not going to be something like, oh, what happened, you know? No, something. So I just start cheering, you know? I just put my stuff down real quick. I don't even know what's going on. But I'm cheering away, screaming. Yeah, who that? You know, what happened, Paul? You know, I mean, I have no clue. Well, they get caught up in the moment and people are excited. I mean, the prospect that the thumb that is upon them, that is Rome, it might be removed because Messiah is here. The new David, come on, let's go. They're ready. But it's not going to happen like they think. And he's not what little they think of him either. He's not just a warrior. He's a savior. And he's coming to do both at the same time. Which is again a little ambiguous, isn't it? But isn't this always the way that God comes? I just, I I dare you to read the Bible and show me a place where God doesn't come in and bring salvation and judgment at the same time. They are inseparable. Because friend, What matters there when God comes is how you receive him. And it's either going to be salvation or judgment. There is nothing in between. (laughs) So when God shows up to Egypt to deliver his people, guess what? There's salvation and judgment. We want to divorce the two. They are not divorceable, which is why heaven and hell are not divorceable. It's all the love of God. It is who he is. And you're on one side or the other. Plain as that. I don't know how it's... Read the Bible in this way and you will see every time God comes, he brings a sword to divide between salvation and judgment. And what matters is if you are repentant or unrepentant. This is why C.S. Lewis can... Boldly proclaim, look, there's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say, thy will be done, Lord. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. If you want yourself, you can have yourself for all of eternity. And the loneliness that is selfishness. Well... This is, uh, I don't know if you caught it or not, but this is the new Joshua coming into town. He's coming from Jericho. Uh, If you read back up at the beginning of 19, and even here it indicates after telling a parable to the crowd in Jericho, he goes on to Jerusalem. Well, any Jew thinking about this would think, oh boy, from Jericho now to Jerusalem, right on. Because remember what happens, right? Joshua comes in, and the way God uh, gives them the land is first they take out Jericho, which was the strongest walled city in Canaan, all right? So if you take out New York, well, Decatur doesn't have much hope. I got news for you. And so everybody else gets scared once Jericho falls. And so now they're thinking, oh, man, yeah, he's, he's following the pattern of Joshua, which, by the way, his name means Joshua. You know, Jesus in Hebrew, you back it up from the transliteration, it just means Joshua. In Greek, Iesus. In Aramaic, Yeshua. It's all Jesus. In English, when you transliterate it, it all ends up the same way. He is Joshua. 
He is the new Joshua, though. He is not Joshua. (laughs) And Joshua's failure to drive out all the evil. No, Jesus is going to draw in all the evil upon his own shoulders. Right there in the centerpiece. Between God and man, he draws it all into himself to be the bearer of our guilt, shame. And like the scapegoat, he takes it away. Because here's what Jesus says when he comes. He says, or John the Baptist says of Jesus, he comes to take away the sins of the world. Not to leave them around. No, he's going to drive them out. Which means he's going to do the same thing in your life. If God comes to your life, if he's in you, if you're born again, if you are of God, then that means he's bringing his salvation and judgment to your own life. And that means, then, that we must be about repentance. When something emerges that isn't him, that isn't of his, we need to drive it out with him and his power. And he can do this, friend. I don't care how many years you've been addicted to something. I don't care how deep the sin goes. Our God is more powerful than sin and evil. I want you to believe that. He has done it for me. He has done it for those that I know personally who have seen the change of heart. It wasn't their own doing. And what a day when we realize, wow, this is not just me trying to be better. I have a new heart. I have a new way I see people. I have a new attitude within me, a new mind that is working in me, which is not my own. (laughs) It is Christ in us. Oh, dear friend, don't. Don't give up hope. If you've prayed for 15 years to overcome something, keep praying, keep fighting, keep trusting. He is a deliverer. Believe him today. Believe him this hour, this very moment. He will do it. Well, so the, he's... Here's what's funny. He's the new Joshua, but he's also the new Adam. He's the new Moses, right? He's also the new David. You say, what in the world is going on, Pastor, with all this new this and that? Well, he is the archetype which all these are copies of. They're ectypes. Every one of them came in his name, which means it wasn't him. But they came in his name. They came like him, and they become examples for us. You know, this is the way I think about this, okay, which may be weird to you, but it's helpful to me. I think of a trampoline. And if you have all these objects on a trampoline, you know, and they're roughly the same weighted objects, then they just kind of stay there as long as nobody's bouncing anything around. Let me just tell you, you put a bowling ball on the the trampoline, what are all the objects going to do? Now, who is the most substantive being not to get too philosophical here this morning, in our, in our world, in the universe. It is God. Well, when he comes to town, what do you think happens? Everything draws into him. How could it do otherwise? 
It has no weight compared to him. The term glory, in fact, means weightiness. <laughs> well, that's why when he comes to town, he brings all of the prophets before him and all the apostles and disciples after him together in one person who is the Son of God, our Savior and Lord. Which is why Paul can confidently say in his epistle, all things hold together in him. Math, science, sexuality, language, everything holds, your very cellular makeup holds together because of the one who rode into Jerusalem. What a God, what a humble Savior. He could have touted all this. He could have written books and sold them, did conferences and held big speaking engagements. Instead, he rides on a baby donkey, feet almost dragging the ground, into Jerusalem with shouts of joy, with branches torn and the smell of palms, the smell of a donkey. Didn't smell like your car this morning. Well, then, once all of this happens, Jesus says, look, guys, uh, I'm going to send two of you into the village opposite us to get this, uh, or sorry, before, before the parade. He, he sends these two disciples, right? And I, I just want to focus on this real quick. Our God is ascending God, isn't he? You know, this is why in the Nicene Creed we say one holy apostolic church. What is apostolic? It's sentness. It's literally a Greek word that means sent, to sent, to be sent. Which means that we're all a part of the apostolic church, which means we're all sent. And just as Jesus sent these two people to untie this donkey that he's going to ride in on, so too we are sent. So where are you sent? Where are you sent? To whom are you sent? You know, it is not the pastor's job to reach people, to pray for everybody, any more than it is your job to reach people and pray for everybody. No one person can do it all, and no one is paid to do anything like that. That is discipleship, friend. That's basic Christianity. It is what you're called to do. If you are a Christian, then he is sending you into the world after you have been forgiven and transformed to save others. This is the way the body of Christ works. This is simple 101, church. <laughs> so, have you heard his voice? You know, I'm standing here before you only because Jesus asked me to do it. Trust me. Everything else he's cut off over the years. I thought it was this and I thought it was that and... So on and so it'd be embarrassing to tell you what all I thought was going to happen when I moved here, when we moved here in 2007. Embarrassing. And yet, we're still here because of one reason. Not because anybody here asked me to do it. Not because I wanted to do it. Because he said, I want you. And I haven't released you. And so, there you go. And that's enough for me, you know? Because when I know that I'm obeying Jesus Christ... Nothing else matters. What could be more important than that? You are being, 
You, you say, well, yeah, but look, I, I need more money here. I need more security here. I, I wish this or I wish that. But if you're where God wants you to be and you know it, I, there is a peace because we know what kind of God this is. We've never seen the righteous forsaken, David said. No. Paul, even when we've been crushed, broken, tossed, lost at sea. No, he is with us. He is a deliverer. And we can wave and say, Hosanna in the highest. You are the one who saves, we pray, because we know in the end you do. No matter what happens to us here on this earth, you do. This is why someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just, what was it, two days ago, was the day that marked when he was hung by the Germans in 1945 for his faith. And he goes to the grave and still makes an impact on us as a saint. Why? Because Christians don't fear the grave. Have you heard? What are you going to do to us? Oh, you're going to kill us? Okay, well, I mean, I was going to die anyway. You're just getting me there sooner. Now, most of us realistically aren't going to have to face martyrdom. That's just the, you know, most of Christianity hasn't had to face martyrdom. Now, it's stronger today than it ever has been, actually, if you have not been paying attention. But most of us will not be called to that. But does that mean that we don't still give our life to him? Friends. Friends, no. (laughs) No. When he sends us, we give our life to him. Which actually is the whole thing about throwing the cloaks on, you know? You know, they get the donkey finally, and then they throw the cloaks on. When you threw your cloak on, that was like the one garment that you would have slept in and traveling, warmth, bedding. Like, it did a lot of stuff, right? It's it's very unlike how this coat, you know, which I haven't even worn in months, functions for me. No, when you throw this down, that's your biggest piece of clothing. It's important, which means you're throwing your life down. That's really what was happening. So they, they... throw their life on this donkey, they throw their life before the way of Jesus. Are you willing to throw your life away like that? To give him everything? He is the king, isn't he? Can't he demand what he will? You know, I I, I, think about cloak, I always think of blind Bartimaeus. Do you remember him? I love his story, here's why. Here's a blind man, and he's got a cloak on. He hears Jesus coming, and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because, see, he recognized Jesus was the new David. And they say, hey, 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 listen, be quiet. Stop, stop all the shouting. Like, somebody's importance coming, you know. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. It gets louder. Of course, this annoys him. Hey, listen, we're trying to enjoy this moment. I'm trying to take pictures. Do a little TikTok thing or whatever. This dude's over here shouting. Please be quiet. But listen, he knows something they don't know. He knows that salvation's coming to his house today. He's blind, but he plans to see today. And so when Jesus gets there, you know what he does? He throws his cloak off and comes to Jesus. Now, that's something for me to do to throw mine off. If he didn't heal me, I could go back and get it, right? But a blind man, to throw his cloak away? No, he plans to go find it himself here in a minute. That's the kind of faith blind Bartimaeus has. Is that the kind of faith we have with Jesus? Listen, I I can tell you truthfully, I don't always come Sunday or wake up on Monday with that kind of faith, but I am praying, Lord Jesus, to give me that kind of strength of faith 
even today, that we don't just come in ho-hum. Just another Sunday, just another little thing we're doing here, just another Holy Week, got to make it through, just trying to make it. Listen, if that describes your week, friend, I, I, could I invite you to meet the living Lord who wants to make so much more of our life than just trying to make it? No, he wants us to be victorious as Christians. He wants to share his own joy and love and forgiveness so much so that we can turn around and share it with those who need it most. Who needs forgiveness in your life the most? Who needs to be loved this week the most? Go to them. I can promise you this. When you start sharing love, love grows. When you start trying to keep love, it dies. It must be given away to increase. And he wants our love to increase. This is the nature of the kingdom. Well, one more thing here about the donkey. When they get there, they're supposed to untie it. But Jesus says, listen, somebody's going to ask about that. So here's what you need to tell them. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Of course, that happens. And they say it It happens just like he says, right? I wonder what the Lord needs in your life. He's given you skills, hasn't he, over the years? He's given you abilities. He's given you resources. Cars, trucks, houses, maybe property, possessions. He's given you all sorts of things, maybe that even your job has trained you for (laughs) over the years. Like you've gotten good at this, you know, working with people, managing people, whatever it might be. What has God given to you that he might say today, the Lord needs it. Untie it. Loose it. Give it to me. Give it to me and see what I can do. You know, donkeys aren't that fascinating, are they? You ever seen one on the side of the road? They're kind of funny looking, you know? They're small, big old ears. And yet, this donkey has the wonderful privilege of bringing Jesus into one of the most important moments of our faith. A donkey. You'd figure it was the white horse of Gandalf or something, right? Like surely that, I forget that horse's name, but that's the one that's going to ride Jesus in, right? No, no, no. It's a little baby donkey. It's never been ridden before. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said. Oh, actually, I don't have it with me, I don't think. Yeah, he's got a, he, well, let, let me put it this way. Oh, uh, actually, am I, nope, never mind, scratch that. <laughs> I thought, oop, holding out hope, there it is, but nope, it's in my office. Look up the poem today. I was going to read it to you, but we'll scratch that. You'll get another 30 seconds here. The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton. Just read it today, prayerfully read it, and be wowed that God can take an animal like that and use it for his glory. Now, what about us? What about us? Some of us think our life is funny and weird and and we think we have big ears. Maybe we're not the best and maybe others would pass us by on the road and laugh at us. But you know what? He might be calling you to be untied today for something that he has been waiting for you to do. Just you. Only you can do it. That's the kind of God he is. 
Only you can do that. No one else. Would you be loosened today? Would you allow him to be the new Moses that comes in and draws us out into himself? Well, and finally, the, uh, the Pharisees have something to say about this, which they always do, don't they? But in many ways, the Pharisees are us. And on this day when there's a lot of ambiguity, they're the first ones to step forward and say, okay, I, I think I know what's going on here. And Jesus, you need to, you know, Rabbi is what they said. Rabbi, listen, you, you need to tell them to stop because you know what they're doing. They're exalting you as the Messiah King. You know that's not right. Jesus does not refuse their worship. He accepts it, which is a claim of divinity. And this rightfully puts finally the Pharisees in their place without doubt. They know what he's claiming, which is why, which is why they're set their face to kill him. And with the help of the Romans and the Sadducees, they absolutely will by the end of the week. Jesus says, though, to them, listen, if they were to stop, the stones would cry out. Because nature itself knows its maker. Do we? Do we know our maker? We were made for him. We're not inanimate like a rock. You know, back in the day, my dad always used to say, that guy's as dumb as a rock. So we would always say that too, right? Because rocks, there's not much impressionable about rocks, is there? (laughs) Donkeys and rocks, I mean, branches. And yet, even to this day, we're still using them to glorify him, aren't we? What do you think this place is made of? It's made of stone. And what do you think we got it to do in today? Praising God, that's what. And Jesus' words, interestingly, he'll weep over Jerusalem in Luke's account, which we actually dealt with earlier from John. And then he's going to cleanse the temple. But here's what he's going to say about the temple. Not one of these stones will remain. Because when they do reject Jesus and refuse to worship him as God, the rocks, in fact, do cry out in 70 AD. And they've cried out ever since as the temple, even though somewhat rebuilt in Jerusalem, run by Muslims today, not Jews. They won't even approach the area, truthfully, where the Holy of Holies is. They're scared to death because they have lost it. Because they lost the Messiah. Because they rejected Jesus Christ. And he left Jerusalem. He left the temple and destroyed it. Because if there's not salvation, there's judgment, friend. So the stones did cry out. So don't be dumb as a rock today. Let's praise him. Let's get these things back out here in just a second. And give him our all. Lay our lives down for him. To show him that we want to be on the way that you're on. No matter if it's suffering, if it's a valley, or if it's a mountain. I want to be with you, Jesus. Bring us where you will. We trust you. So, do you need a Moses today to deliver you out of slavery? Do you need a Joshua to come and save? Do you need David to be victorious in your life? Because he's the new man in town, ready To save, he has come to his people and he is offering salvation. If so, great, so be sent now. Go into the world. Go into all the world and make disciples of your children. 
of your family, of your neighbors, of this city, of our world, sharing Jesus. Throw your life down before the King of Kings today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hosanna in the highest.